Did you know that you can be a critically thinking, rational person and be a Christian? Did you know that there's good evidence that Christianity is true? Did you know that the Christian faith can withstand the toughest of scrutiny? Welcome to the Cerebral Faith Podcast, where we believe because of the brains God gave us and not in spite of them. I'm your host, Evan Minton. Welcome to the Cerebral Faith Podcast, where we use the brains that God gave us. Um, Today, we're going to be continuing the Christmas Apologetics series. This time, we're going to be responding to an article by Richard Carrier called Virgin Birth. It's pagan, guys. Get over it. And today, my guest is Nick Peters of the of. Deeper Waters Ministries. Nick Peters is a Christian apologist who runs the Deeper Waters blog and podcast. He also has a YouTube channel of the same name. He has a bachelor's degree in preaching and Bible from Johnson University, and he's currently working on a master's in New Testament there. He is especially interested in the historical Jesus and the resurrection, and he does affirm the virgin birth, as I do. I affirm the virgin birth. Nick, it's nice to have you on the podcast. It's good to be here, and yes, I do want to make sure everyone knows, because I understand I can be some ambiguity on this, but I do affirm a virgin birth. Okay. Um, so, Nick and I have been Facebook friends for a long time. We uh, have played some video games over the over the internet, and I have always beaten him in Pokemon battles, but that's okay, because he's a lot better at The Legend of Zelda than I am. He he did not struggle with the dancing, the dra- the dancing dragon dungeon like I did. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I've been yeah. I've been playing video games since before you were even thought of. <laughs> right. Well, I um. So today we are going to be talking about this article from Richard Carrier. Richard Carrier is a famous uh, Jesus mythicist. And he is all on board with the whole virgin birth and Christian beliefs in general being Mm -hmm. copied over from paganism. And since the virgin birth is what Christmas is all about, God became man. Yeah, God uh, being born, the word becoming flesh, I thought this would be the perfect time to address this. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to read the – I'm going to start reading the article, and Nick is just going to jump in whenever whenever he feels best to respond to some of Carrier's points. You know, I, I think something that should be said to get – because some people might be listening and wondering, why does he keep saying that he affirms for virgin birth, which I do affirm? Well, this for me all started really as kind of – a fun joke in that a friend of mine and I were in the unbelievable Facebook group once dialoguing with an atheist who was asking, why didn't Paul mention the virgin birth at all if he believed in it? To which we were trying to explain that the Bible was written in a high context society, background knowledge is assumed, and the letters are more situational letters, and so there's no need to give a biography of Jesus. That would have been understood by the people of the time. And we made a point by saying, you know, we all attend conservative evangelical churches, and our pastors believe in the virgin birth, but they don't come out every single Sunday and say, hey, guys, I affirm the virgin birth. And to make the point, we started saying on every single post after that that we affirm the virgin birth to show how silly it was. I carried it out of a forum, and now it's become its own thing. I mean, I've literally got the T-shirt. I, I'm not kidding. I've got a T-shirt that says, I affirm the virgin birth on it, which I do affirm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I get that argument a lot. They really love to pull these arguments from silence, and I've heard that – I've heard a similar argument regarding the mm-hmm. empty tomb of Jesus, like in the First mm-hmm. Corinthians 15 creed. Oh, it doesn't – Paul doesn't mention the empty tomb uh, because mm-hmm. he – but, you know, as N.T. Wright says, you know, it would have been understood that a man who died, was buried, and was raised left an empty tomb behind. So you wouldn't have, right. to, quali- so you wouldn't have to qualify that by saying, and the mm-hmm. tomb was empty, any more than saying, mm-hmm. I walked down the street, adding, on my feet. On my mm-hmm. feet would have just been presupposed. Yeah. 
So I'm going to start reading the article now. Let's just uh, dump into uh, jump into it. Dump so. might be more accurate. Of it, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Carrier starts out saying the deep anxiety of Christians is often revealed in their desperation to convince themselves that they aren't just newfangled pagans who stole everything from other religions. You got to love the whole psychologizing that atheists do. Right at the start, constantly about psychoanalyzing every single person. I mean, so many times when I'm in debate with these guys, they start talking about this. I, I'm almost wondering if they want to pull out a couch and have me lie down and say, so how does that make you feel? I, I mean, <laughs> let, let's talk about the data. I mean, I have no doubt there are a lot of anxious Christians out there, but um, most of the time, but I, I just get to how people are wanting to psychoanalyze me on Facebook and instead of debating the position. But right off, Richard Carrier just, this is what he does. And he just starts off with the whole idea of, let's uh, analyze the personalities of these Christians. How about let's just talk about the data itself without that stuff? Right. Uh, yeah, I get it a lot of times. That's why I don't usually bring up my upbringing because I was I was raised I was born to a Christian family. So people would be like, oh well, yeah, of course you're a Christian. You were raised yeah, you, in a Christian you, home. You were brainwashed but if you were, from an early age, yeah, obviously. If you were born if you were born to a Muslim family, you'd be a Muslim. Well, um, like well, actually, yeah. And then, but I say yeah, but I I almost became an agnostic. Because I didn't really have any evidence or good arguments behind me, then I went and I studied the. I, I believe, yeah, I may, I may have believed Christianity was true when I was five because mom and dad told me it was true. That's what I believed yeah. in Santa Claus for the same reason. But now I believe because I've studied the Kalam cosmological argument and the minimal facts argument for the resurrection uh, that Gary Habermas put out, um, uh, the reliability of the old and new test. I, you know, I actually studied and I thought deeply about these issues, and that's what mm. these in, these internet infidels don't seem to understand. Mm-hmm. So Carrier goes on with the virgin birth is a classic example. Farm. Yeah, um, and the fact cha- uh, the fact challenged illogic of trying to deny it, best represented by the otherwise seemingly smooth and authoritative article, was the virgin birth of Jesus grounded in paganism by John Sorensen, published in 2013 at Catholic Anther- at Catholic Answers. Obviously, another example, of course, is the dying and rising God mytheme. Is he, is he trying to combine myth and meme here? I don't know. Uh, God mytheme, which may I may treat more acutely in the future, but I've already demonstrated it was not only pagan, but fashionable among pagans by the time the Jews decided they wanted one of their own. See, on the uh, history... I'd be questionable of anything that Carrier thinks he has demonstrated. Usually when you go and look at his facts and check things up with his footnotes, there's a lot of skepticism. Like how in his book on, on the historicity of Jesus, he has this strange theory about some sort of divine sperm bank where David's seed is kept, being the reference talked about in Galatians. And then just a couple of pages later, he treats it as if it's the established position. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really bizarre Thinking. So I say everything Carrier says is really worthy of intense fact checking. Yeah, and that, and then he, then he lists all these page numbers where to that book, and he says Derek Bennett's Airman Errors, yes, Bart, there were dying and rising gods, is also a good effort at trying to catalog at some point. Although I think there are errors in Bennett's article as well, and the task of fixing them will benefit from examining the parallel case of some debate over where the idea of the virgin birth came from. Which I do affirm. (laughs) And then there's a big subheader here. It's what I've said before. Bart Ehrman is one of those secular historians who all too often can't be bothered to check his facts, but just repeatedly apes Christian apologetics again and again on both the dying and rising mytheme. No, Dr. Ehrman, Jonathan Z. Smith did not refute that mytheme. He didn't even address 99% of the evidence for it, but flat out ignored almost all of it and focused. Yeah, the thing with, with 
Carrier is Carrier. You kind of got to wonder what's going on because he just comes out all guns blazing against anyone who dares question anything that he says, which is a horrible way to go after your opponents. In any case, yeah. I mean, Ehrman is not one who's going to just blindlessly quote Christian apologists. He's super skeptical of many of them as well. But I, I think Ehrman gets a lot of things wrong. But heck, I'd, I'd sure trust him a whole lot more than Carrier. Right. Uh, Air, Airman is, yeah, I agree. Airman is definitely way more. I mean, he's actually, he's actually got a degree in this field, and he, he you know, he's, he's, and he teaches uh, at an accredited university. Right, and and so he's a lot more, you know, credible than Carrier. There's an article. I, I wish I could find it again, but it's one of the funniest things. I think James McGrath had it published on his site about how. About reading a Richard Carrier review, and he has like all these lists of the different insults Carrier uses. I mean, you could probably turn into a drinking game of some kind. Like every time he says this, do a shot, and you'd be dead of alcohol poisoning at the end, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely very, very rhetoric driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he quotes a, a previous. Um, he says, "I lost my place." Oh. Um, and he's, he goes on to quote reviewing reviewing his famously miseducating Huffington Post article in the historicity of Jesus. I noted uh, quote Airman says we do not have accounts of others who were born to virgin mothers and who died as an atonement for sin and, and then were raised from the dead, despite what the sensationalists claim ad nauseum in their propagandized versions. Taken strictly literally, this sentence is true. But that is misleading and therefore disingenuous. As such, it amounts to a straw man, at least of many mythicists. Some few mythicists, the more incompetent of them, make that specific claim, but attacking only the weakest proponent of a position is precisely what makes this a fallacy. No competent mythicist makes this claim. Rather, they claim that virgin-born gods were a common phenomenon in the region at the time, and dying and rising gods were a common phenomenon in the in the region at the time, in precisely the way these were not anywhere else. For example, I'm, in ancient I'm China. I'm kind of wondering about what what exactly is meant with the term a a competent mythicist. I mean, keep in mind, of the ones that are scholars in their relative fe- in fields related to the subject, relevant to the subject, I you could count the number on one hand. And here's Carrier going after people like. Ehrman and other Christians. I'm going to think, hey, clean up your own house first if you want to talk about people are spreading misinformation because it's really mythicists that are doing it far more. The whole dying and rising gods also, one important thing to point out is many of these were also seen as more seasonal things in line with the coming of a harvest. Jesus' death and resurrection had no connection to that. In one book that Carrier doesn't mention, at least I don't remember seeing him mention, was a Medinger's book, Ritter of Resurrection, which really takes a much more in-depth, like, about dying and rising gods idea. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, for those listening, uh, I'm, I recently did a video on the whole uh, dying and rising god copycat thing is going to be part of my series on the my YouTube series on the evidence for Jesus's resurrection. And the first of that video is going to be up in a few days on December 12th. Um, but if you're, a, if you're cerebral, I do affirm the virgin birth. Yes. And if you're, if you're a cerebral faith patron, you can get most of those videos already, but they're going to be posting weekly starting um, December 12th. Mm-hmm. Now back to the article. And for, and so for Jews to suddenly start claiming that they have one too, a dying and rising God, looks pretty easily explained in terms of standard theories of cultural diffusion. See my chapter on the origins of Christianity in the ends of Christianity, chapter 2, pages 53 to 74. You have a problem with this is when Jews came back from exile in Babylon, they really started shaping up. I mean, they've been, let's say, spanked pretty seriously by God. 
Maccabean. I mean, heck, the whole Maccabean revolt in the Book of Maccabees takes place over eating pork, of all things. You might say that seems minor to us, but nope, that got him started. And you look at a book like a, the Jesus legend, um, Boyd and Eddie, I believe, and they'll tell you that when you look at the garbage dumps that we have for Jerusalem, it's you don't see things like pig bones and other things like that until after 70 AD when the city was destroyed. Jews were extremely protective of themselves. And for, say they create a dying and rising God, why? What would they gain from this? Right. Right. That's one of the points that I bring up in my video is that the Jews were just so exclusive. They were just so, no, we can't, we're not going to mingle with the pagans because they learned from the Old Testament just how, just how severe God takes that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, they were very, very zealous. I mean, they, you know, there's an account in Josephus where they, they, um, they defy Pontius Pilate because he Mm -hmm. like set some kind of, uh, some kind of images up in uh, the oh, temple. Oh, yeah. He, he brought in some insignias of the Roman Empire, and he had threatened to to behead them and things like that if they didn't resist. And they just knelt down immediately and bare their heads and said, go right, go right for it. Yeah, um, because they were just so devoted to the Torah and God's laws and they were opposed to idolatry. And so what we know from first century Jews, for them to just – for them to look at what the pagans were doing and say, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to have – look at that. They got a god who who you know supposedly died and, and rose. I, I'd like to have some of that. That's just not plausible in light of what we know of ancient Jews. Mm. So – in this uh, – the, the last part of the previous article that he's quoting in this article, he says he, Airman, is forced to assume that they just happened to come up with the idea of a virgin-born son of God when surrounded by virgin-born sons of God as if by total coincidence. Can you imagine it? They independently think up an idea, then go preaching around Gal- Gentile cities and discover that there are all these other virgin-born sons of God. Why, golly gee, what a this, coincidence. This also, of course, this also assumes that the virgin birth, which I do affirm, is false. I mean, even if there were similar ideas around the time, you still have to look and say, well, okay, but maybe this one might that, – let's check the claims on this one and just see. I mean, it, this is the kind of thing that uh, C.S. Lewis was even kind of converted by, where his friend Jack, who we know as J.R.R. Tolkien, told him, well, but what if, though, that Christianity was a true story that was the fulfillment of all of these, and hence the term came true myth? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, there are other gods and other religions who, you know, perform miracles. That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't perform them. Mm-hmm. Performing uh, so miracles goes is, is kind of part of a resume of being a deity. I mean, it, it can't be like saying one general in an army is a copy of another general because this general led armies in battle. Well, that's what a general does. Right, right. So uh, he Carrier goes on to say, um, "Why golly gee, what a coincidence! See the not see the impossible faith, pages seventy six to seventy eight, near the end of chapter two, where Perseus is an example recognized even by early Christians as being virgin born, and to which can be added Ra in a, mm-hmm. in the tradition that had him born of the virgin Neith, etc." Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I'm very skeptical of each of these. I mean, with, I think her name was Danae, the mother of Perseus, you have a golden rain coming down on her, which is Zeus's way of impregnating her. And not, not much of the whole kind of thing that you see in Luke in relation. I mean, if you're going to say all these things are virgin births, then the term 
Miri becomes pretty meaningless at that point. Yeah, and what about um, what about was that Perseus you just addressed? Or? Yes. Okay. What what about the other one? I I'd really want to see what Carrier says about his story because the main ones I hear are about Horus and Osiris there. So I mean, Rhea, I'm pretty sure is the sun god in Egypt, and how his broken. I I I'd want to hear what Carrier says first, but all these claims that I've heard before so much from Mythicist of a copycat score. They don't usually last a long time. Yeah. What about uh, Horus and Osiris? Uh, how do how are they similar or dissimilar from the virgin birth of Jesus? Where for one of them, it's the account that, and I think it it's probably Osiris. It's the account that uh, um, his mother went and took her husband's body parts. His mother was Isis and put them all back together to reconstruct them, except for one part she couldn't find. And I'll leave it to your imaginations to figure out what that one part was. <laughs> but, but let's just say it'd be kind of essential to him having children anymore. And so she reconstructed one on her own and used that to get pregnant, but heck, I hardly a virgin at that point. And there are so many other things that are usually thought of about these things like all these virgin births are supposedly take place on December 25th. Uh, thankfully, Carrier doesn't mention that one, but that's a common one. So when you see all these other claims that are shown to be bogus, and you kind of have to wonder where, what about the other ones here? I mean, why? should we take them as seriously yeah i've heard mithras as an example of a virgin birth as well now the well technically the... <laughs> technically it is true that rock did not have sexual relations with any woman whatsoever <laughs> yeah yeah and he he talks about that in a minute and his the way he responds to that well it was a rock and not a human woman i I don't think it's very good, but we, we will get we will get to that. Mm. Uh, so after that uh, citation from his uh, Huffington Post article review, uh, Carrier says, "What we see here is what we see in standard Christian apologetics, like Sorensen's false claims about the facts. Anyone who says there were no virginally born deities in pre-Christian pagan mythology is either a liar or incompetent as a historian." And shocking. Oh, you gotta love the same way Carrier just goes after everyone. If you disagree, you're either a liar or incompetent. I mean, I, I, this is one reason the scholarly community doesn't even really bother with Carrier. Right? He goes out like this, and if you disagree with him, where well, you're either a liar or incompetent. <laughs> yeah. And, uh,. He says, shocking fallacies of reasoning, as with here, assuming only virgin-born dying and rising gods count, thus allowing you to ignore all the actual virgin-born gods, insisting a remarkable coincidence is more likely than a commonplace phenomenon like cultural diffusion, contrary to the very laws of mathematics and the entire science of cultural anthropology, and pretending that if there was any variant of a myth that removed the sexless conception, we can conclude there was no variant of the myth that contained it, even though we know for a fact the latter variant existed. We'll see Sorensen twisting his mind up with the same fall uh, fallacies and falsities. In his book, How Jesus Became God, Ehrman repeats the same errors, as I observed in my review under Errors, Item 9. Quote, some of Ehrman's mistakes could be just could just be bad writing. For example, he says none of the stories of divine humans born from a union of a god and a mortal is the mortal a virgin. Page twenty four. When I first looked at this line, nearly two hundred people had highlighted it in the Kindle edition, showing the danger of Ehrman's lazy writing or thinking or research, miseducating the public. As an expert, I know enough to imagine 
that what he actually means is remains a virgin, not was a virgin. Certainly many divine conceptions in Greek and Roman legend were bestowed upon virgins. In fact, that was a common trope for obvious narrative reasons. The only way to be sure the conception was supernatural is if the mother had never yet been with a man, especially if was if such was the case, whichever man she was at the time married or betrothed to. For example, Plutarch says legend had it that the mother of Romulus was a virgin, impregnated mysteriously by the god Mars while she was locked away, specifically uh, of course, to there's still a lot of debate as to if Romulus even existed, and Plutarch's account would be, have been written centuries after whenever he would have existed if he did exist. Right. Contrast to the Gospels, which were written only decades after Jesus. Oh, so much later, you know. I mean, decades after, you can't trust that. <laughs> so. Carrier says, one might suppose this that this was accomplished sexually, but that re isn't really as relevant a distinction as Airman makes out. And and actually, it's, it's a completely relevant distinction. What's needed to match is a version or conception that comes about without any seed whatsoever. And there are strange ways often that the seed of a god would get into the woman, but we need something more specific for a match. And here yet again, Ehrman simply acts like a Christian apologist, arguing as if this distinction matters, when in fact it doesn't. All syncretism combines the borrowed concept. Here a god impregnating a virgin to establish divine patrimony with a native concept. Here the common Jewish disgust for sex, which was motivated which motivated the Judaizing of the borrowed mytheme by simply deleting the sexual element from it. <laughs> You know, it, 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 these are the same Jews who have the Song of Songs in, in their holy book, right? I mean, you, you know, Song of Songs is just so, so anti-sex entirely. Or you go to a passage of Proverbs, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Drink from your own fountain. I, I mean, this is a celebration of sex. Right. It's a, it's an it's an extremely racy book of the Bible. Uh -huh. um, I've even heard some people say that your average Jew was not allowed to read the Song of Songs until he was thirty, maybe. <laughs> and there's even a book. Um, I think it's by Greenwood. Uh, in the beginning, looking at a. Uh, interpretations throughout history of Genesis 1 and 2, and one of them was from the rabbinical period, and how apparently one of the rabbis said, well, the reason that Adam was with Eve when she fell in the garden and he didn't do anything was they had just got done having sex and Adam fell asleep afterwards, so that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That that is that is totally a plausible interpretation. I I choose to go with that. <laughs> uh, so the his he goes on to say, but even the absence of sex is attested in pagan mythology. Most famously, in the case of Perseus, a golden shower, drops of gold falling from the ceiling into his mother's vagina. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on on the air. Uh, as far, everyone knows yeah. what you're talking about. Yes, I don't know. I don't know if Anchor would be uh, happy with that or not. <laughs> uh, you know, his mother's part mm. is far closer to Mary being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, just as magical a substance, which just as surely went into her womb to impregnate her. So you she remains. So many people use this word magic so often. Let's keep something in mind. First off, when you're talking about Zeus, Zeus was pretty much essentially a horn dog of a god. I mean, this guy would sleep with any woman who moved whatsoever. There's a reason Hera was so rightly jealous concerning him. You don't see this going on with Yahweh in the Bible. There's no indication that he looks down on a woman and says, gosh, she's smoking hot. I'm going to go down there and have some fun. 
That <laughs> does not happen at all. And I mean, the whole thing with magic is magic is trying to control. Uh, and when I say magic, I don't mean stage magic that's done by a magician. I mean real occultic practice. It's done trying to use ritual or words of some kind to control an outside force. That's not what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw a meme of uh, Zeus from Disney's Hercules, and it said the most unrealistic thing about Disney's Hercules is depicting him as a, as a family man. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The, the gods in many of these cultures were just pretty much really big humans who had really superpowers. And, I mean, they, there was a reason for as an Avenger, let's say. <laughs> Right. Uh, and so let's see, where did I where did I leave off? Um, so she remained as much a virgin as Mary did, as even early Christians conceded. Justin, for example, had to admit Perseus was born of a virgin. There were also sexless conceptions of other kinds. For example, in the myth that has Hera giving birth to Hef Hephaeus. By act of by act of the will rather than sexual union, so for Jew, so the Jews did not want for precedent in pagan mythography. So did Ehrman simply misstate what he meant by accident? In the example he cites, Ehrman says the woman was not a virgin even before the god visited her. Al Alchemina, who had already had sex with her husband, so bad writing does not appear to be the best explanation of this error. It certainly looks like Ehrman is falsely saying there were no women in these divine conception legends who were virgins when first approached by a god, which is incorrect. Even the mother of Alexander the Great claimed God had impregnated her on her wedding night in the form of a thunderbolt. Later, the story became it was a giant snake before her before her husband had consummated their marriage. And obviously she had to. Otherwise, Alexander's divine patrimony would be in question. Similarly, you, know, you kind of have to wonder about this whole thing going on, too, because, you know, he said this is the only way you could show someone was a virgin where she's. If this happened on her wedding night and Alexander was born nine months later, you could just as easily say this is the son of the natural father. Now, this is kind of being done to embellish Alexander and make him seem even better, but you had to have it happen on the wedding night since apparently uh, Alex's parents decided to get things going pretty quickly or starting a family. Yeah. Similarly, the famous Osiris myth carved into the very pyramids describes the god getting with the mother on her wedding night, disguised as her husband, before her real husband gets his turn. See again the Luxor thing. Mm -hmm. And precisely the same was being said of Plato in the Christian era, as Oregon reported, for some have thought fit to relate as a possible thing that Plato was the son of, I don't know how to pronounce that, Amphic. Amphiketoni, <laughs> Arison being prevented from having marital intercourse with his wife until she had given birth to him with whom she was pregnant by Apollo, against Celsus 37. So, Ehrman's example of Alchemina is disingenuous and deeply misleading. And that's the end of that quote in the article. He goes on to say, I'll, I'll parse the nuances here again when I get to Sorison, but by being so incompetent with words that Airman actually... Again, I mean, seriously, make a drinking game out of this. Whenever a carrier does some sort of remark like this, I mean, I, I, get, I, get, I hit my opponents hard sometimes too, but geez, carrier goes into overkill with his review going after... Legitimate scholars this way. Yeah. Um, but by being so incompetent with words that Airman actually claims no women were virgins, even when they were conceived, uh, even when they conceived demigod by sexual union, losing their virginity to that demigod's heavenly father, at least in legend, we have a gross misstatement of fact. Alexander and Romulus already refute it. Ra and Perseus only refute it more. 
Errors are excusable if you correct them. Even in this very article, I'm correcting some past errors of my own. But will Airmen correct his? The past suggests not. But here, but here's to hoping. Now, I just want I just want to break in with my own thoughts. In a lot of these examples, the 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 women are impregnated by the god coming down and having physical sex with them. Yeah. If you if you have sex with anybody after the fact, you are no longer a virgin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it I, would I seem mean, to this be- is this is even I, the way Mormons talk about the virgin birth. Yeah, it would seem to me that you know if you have a woman and a god or a or anyone, and they have coitus. That's and then the woman gets pregnant as a result of that. That's not a virgin birth. Yeah. That unless unless these mythicists think yeah. that the Holy Spirit actually did some kind of sexual thing with Mary, which is not yeah. how any Orthodox Christian understood it. it. It was just it was like it was like special creation. Like God created a, a you know the chromosome. A, mm. He created the body of Jesus in the womb. There was no sex. It was just, you know, it, it, it's no different really than God creating Adam from the dust in the, the de novo interpretation of Adam and Eve. It, it, you know, it, it's just that this in this case, it occurred in a pre-existing woman's womb. When I was in high school, one of my classmates did get pregnant and on prom night. And let's assume this was her first time, and she got pregnant. That does not qualify her to go around saying she had a virgin birth. Right. So, and so. Which I do the, uh, Yes. Um. The uh, carrier says, and that point comes even before we get to noticing that there were also full-on virgin births, at the very least Perseus and Ra, and conceptions without sexual union, regardless of the mother's virginity otherwise. Hephaeus directly created in Hera's womb, Mithras spontaneously born from a rock, and Dionysus in the myth by which his mother, Semele, conceives him a second time by drinking a potion, and many more I'll enumerate shortly, which are actually far more pertinent precedents of the ideas stolen by the Jews to invent such a comparable miraculous origin for Jesus, in no, defiance of even their this, own logic. This is just grasping at straws so much. Like, especially when you get to an example like Mithras, the god forming, coming out fully formed out of a rock, and that's supposed to be a pertinent example of a virgin birth, which I do affirm. I mean... How does that even work? Right. Um, and he, he addresses that uh, not very well. Uh, let me see if I can find it somewhere in this article. Um, this article is longer than I thought, so I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, the part about... The part about the where he says, yeah, he basically says. I I still can't find it. Okay, okay, here here we go. Um, It's he says, we also have the case of Mithras, who in iconography was spontaneously born from the living rock, though not exactly the same as having a human mother. This is exactly the same as being spontaneously formed without sex, thus evincing once again the popularity of this concept ripe for the stealing in any adaptation, quote and end quote. So basically he's saying, OK, yeah, well, you know, you have he, he came about without the use of sex. And so that's. So that's close enough. That's basically his argument here, his response. And, and keep in mind, keep in mind, this could very well be um, Mithras, Levers working about, but when it comes to our sources on Mithras, we have no writings from them themselves. I can, like he said, artwork, 
and the writings of a church fathers. That's not the best thing to always go on for people. I mean, as much as I, I think Christians should read the church fathers, let's face it, critics can sometimes get things wrong too. Yeah, can you repeat that? You're, you're, you were starting to break up a little. Yeah, well, the, when it comes to our knowledge about Mithraism, we have to keep in mind also that a lot of things we don't have entirely firm grounds on. I think there's a lot we can know, but it's not based on any writings we have, because I don't believe we have any writings of Mithras and his followers out there. And what we ha- know about them comes from iconography, the artwork, and the writings of the church fathers. And sometimes your critics aren't always the best person to go to to find out what you believe. Yeah. So, and then he says, uh, Eric Theus, the mythical founder of Athens, was also born of Mother Earth and the result of divine semen being wiped off of Athena's thigh and thrown onto the ground, which is as strange a parasexual conception as one can imagine, except perhaps the men born from planted dragon's teeth. But in each of these cases, we again have sexless conception without penetration, and in some cases, even without semen. I won't count in this list the birth of Athena, though, since uh, she, since though she sprang from Zeus's head and fully armed, just like Mithras. And that that was only after having conceived the normal way and Zeus having eaten her pregnant mother. However, the Roman version of this myth applied to the parallel goddess. Uh, Minerva was one of the most well-known goddesses in the Western world, omitted that part, thus imagining a truly spontaneous birth. In fact, they created a dual narrative of sexless conceptions. Jupiter's consort Juno was so offended that he could spontaneously create a person out of his head that she contrived to do the same, and by touching a magic flower to her belly, thus begat Mars." Here we have two sexless conceptions and a good example of syncretism causing exactly that innovation. The Romans evidently found the Athena story distasteful and thus removed the sex from it. The Jews would have done the same, and for the same reason. No more explanation needed. Yeah, yeah, the Jews would have removed that distaste for sex, because we know the Jews just certainly hate sex. and, and But they still would have had a woman unmarried getting pregnant making up their story. Uh, yeah, that, that would have been seen as so much better in Jewish culture. Yeah, it, it seems to me when I when you when you look at these um, and when you look at all of these cases of alleged virgin births and you compare them to Jesus in the in mm. the birth narratives in Luke and Matthew, I really don't see how anybody who is a critical thinker could could say, could say the Christians were copying from these things. It the only thing they have in common, if they have anything in common, in very like in very few examples, like Mithras being born out of a rock, is that they came into being without sex being involved. Yeah. That's about that's about it. That's about the only point of similarity. And in many of these cases, there isn't even a virgin because the the god had sex with the woman, and then the woman gave birth to the deity-human hybrid. I'm, I'm seriously here wondering why. Why would they even do this at all? Who benefits? What was the gain behind it? I really don't see anything like that. And like you said, I mean, when you look at the birth narratives, especially in Luke – these are set in a particular place in a particular time. I mean, yeah, we might debate about matters like what year exactly Jesus was born, but it's not the case that someone says where it was like somewhere between 300 BC or 500 AD. No, we've got a very limited time frame, but when it was, we know who was in charge, who was sitting on the phone. We know so many more things. Then these other ideas, which it seems to be like once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. Right. That's why that's why C.S. Lewis said, hey, I've read a lot of myths I've, mm-hmm. and I've read the Gospels. The Gospels don't read like myths. 
And yep. most New Testament most New Testament scholars realize that they're mm. now they're now class the four Gospels are classified as Greco-Roman biographies. That's the genre that that mm. the Gospels are in. So he go Carrier goes on to talk about Perseus again. He says Perseus is a st- is still a more apt example than those the the pre the aforementioned. There we have a magical substance impregnating a woman who remains a proper unpenetrated virgin all the way through birth, just like for Jesus, the only difference being the substance. But second to Perseus is Hephaestus, born to Hera, who maintained virginity by magic, albeit still engaging in sex from time to time, and thereby by some even worshipped as a virgin, and then conceived a god entirely sexless. How did – how, how did Hera maintain virginity when she had a husband? Uh, not just the husband, the husband who apparently liked to get it on as much as he could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That had to have been quite a feat. Uh-huh. In, uh, in fact, by her own direct act of divine will, which is a direct precedent for how the Christians invented the conception of Jesus, she also birthed him in her magically virginal state, thus invincing another form of a virgin-born god. But even more opposite than Perseus, as precedent, was Ra, though as a god more obscure, being limited mostly to Egypt. Egypt neighbors Judea— every, Every time I hear of Ra, I think of the winged dragon of Ra from Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, uh, Carrier says, Ra is mostly limited to Egypt. Egypt neighbors Judea and contained an enormous community of Jewish scholars making pilgrimages to Judea. Justin was writing to a Roman audience, a whole continent away, but the originators of the virgin birth narrative of Jesus could easily have had strong connections with colleagues from Egypt or been – from there themselves. Okay, and in this do we have any evidence of that? No, he just he's just positing it as a possibility. Okay, maybe they could have been. As soon as you present some evidence that they were heavily influenced by Egypt, please let me know. And in this pre-Christian mythology, we have every element: a mother who never has sex with anyone and remains a perpetual virgin who conceives a child by direct act of spontaneous divine will, albeit her own, like Hera, and births them while a virgin. So it cannot be claimed even this notion was not pagan or pre-Christian. Well, keep in mind also that there are a number of scholars, even Catholic scholars, who question the idea of perpetual virginity. And I get this from contact with an actual Catholic scholar. And I know the Catholics and the Orthodox still hold to it. I really don't see a strong case for it. It's not a hero I'm willing to die on, but I'm more inclined to take Jesus' claims of having brothers in the Gospels as well. He had actual brothers. That's the way I'm more inclined to see it. Yeah, me too. So that's that's about all of the article that I'm going to read now. This uh, podcast is nearing 50 minutes, and yep. um, you know it, it was a lot long, long, longer than I thought. Hmm. Um, what what do you what is your um, your take from all of the from all of these claims? Um, they to me. They see a lot of these gods seem to be born under very, very bizarre circumstances. Yep. They don't seem to have any, they if they have anything in common, it's only one thing, and that they were born they came about as a result of a lack of sex. Everything mm-hmm. else is just is so dissimilar that unless you were unless a Jesus mythicist was presenting it to you as an argument, if you just read the myths and then you read the gospels, I don't see how anybody could ever make the connection between yeah. these these myths and because they're just so they're so dissimilar. It's like it's it's like the difference between a sitcom and an a action movie. Uh, and yeah, a sitcom, an action movie, and a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they're all maybe they all have Morgan Freeman in them, and that's oh well, that's 
that means that they're all directed by the same guy. Uh, oh, okay. You can watch a documentary about the Big Bang Theory. You can watch Big Bang Theory sitcom, and you can watch an action movie with superheroes traveling back to the time of the Big Bang Theory. So all of those, you know, I mean, you can also say, yes, I think they're all borrowing is a bit odd. Yeah. So, um, thank you, Nick, for coming on to the Cerebral Faith podcast. Tell our listeners where they can find you. Of course, I'll I'll put the link to your material in the description below. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you can find me at deeperwatersapologetics.com there, and I I am on Facebook. You can just search for me there. I'm I'm available. And of course, I, I want to make sure your listeners do know, but I affirm the virgin birth. Yes, I affirm the virgin birth as well. So, um, so thank you guys for listening to the Cerebral Faith podcast. Let me pull up the uh, Patreon manager page so I can give a shout out to my patrons. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to my patrons James Gadomsky, Andrew Melnick, Michelle Minton, Nathan Hamilton, Edwin Liu, Jordan Hampton, Austin Long, Brandon Whitaker, and David Parrish. Um, and if you uh, if you want to become a Cerebral Faith patron and support this ministry, go to Patreon.com/slash Cerebral Faith. Mm-hmm. Now next week uh, I won't have any guests on. It will just be me talking about the logical coherence of the incarnation but the week after that i'm going to have hugh ross on this program to talk about the christmas star from you know uh, he's a fellow aspie too right yeah so so i'm gonna he's going to talk about the christmas star from an astrophysical perspective and Mm -hmm. what he thinks the phenomenon might have been Mm -hmm. so thank you for listening to the cerebral faith podcast i will see you next time peace out and god bless Thank you.